Archimedes lived and died over 200 years before our Lord and Savior's birth. And most of you know his most famous quote, even if you don't know who he is. Eureka, he shouted as he ran naked from the bath after making a particular discovery concerning the physical properties of density. The man just loved his work. And for those of you who are addicted to detail, I can tell you that Eureka means I found it. He's also known for another quote, which is quite famous in its own right. This particular quote is reported in various forms, and likely you've heard one of its variations, maybe the most common of which is, give me a place to stand and a lever, and I'll move the whole world. Now, some quote him as including the fulcrum in this statement, and others leave out the idea of a lever uh, uh, and simply assume it. Archimedes himself might have said it in different forms to emphasize the different aspects of what would be needed to move the world in that way. Or maybe he was trying to find the catchiest way of phrasing the principle. Now, I know I'm not leaving any of you out of this uh, with all this talk of levers, am I? You know what we mean by that, right? The end of a long pole was put under the edge of a heavy weight, and somewhere close to that weight is a, is a pivot point. When you push down on this end of the pole, it lifts up on that weight, a weight you couldn't lift otherwise. You can't pick it up on your own, but with a lever you can move it. It's one of the simple machines. Well, that was what Archimedes was extolling. Anyway, years after his statement on levers, some physicists got in on the fun. They wondered, giving the weight of the earth as we estimate it, just how long would the pole have to be for a person of ordinary strength to move it? And then they set out and did their calculations. And some of you probably have answered or attempted to answer that very question on an exam while you were in college. And if your physics professors were as sadistic as mine, I know you did. I, I suppose that structural engineers might have something to add to the discussion. They might ask just what material, what shape, or what radius do we need, what the deflection and the material is acceptable to make such a lever so that it doesn't bend or break as we try to leverage the earth and and let's not forget the fulcrum uh, as a pivot point. Uh, an ordinary rock simply won't do. Now, all of that, <laughs> I think, I suppose, is great good fun in its own way. Our physicists and our engineers are certainly better equipped to do their job, and the rest of us, well, we've been duly exercised. But the scientists, from Archimedes to the engineers and professors, don't talk about the one thing which you have to have without which all their calculations and material knowledge is useless. Archimedes mentions it, but they never really talk about where they would stand. Well, of course not. For them, it's merely hypothetical. They know they can't really move the world. But you and I, as members of the church, and why Bible Church is one local manifestation of the church, we have a place to stand. And from that place, we can move the world in a more significant way than merely displacing it from its position in space.
We, you and I, as part of Jesus' church, are changing eternity. The church is built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. It's where we stand. It's God's way of working in our world. Our individual parts are small, but taken together, our small parts lived out in and through the church constitute a powerful force for good in our world today. Nothing of human origin is like it. It's stronger than any and all evil that we face in our falling existence. Now last week we began talking about the church, something which in some ways may be so familiar to us that we've lost some of the wonder about it. We've come to take it for granted. But there is nothing else like it in existence. It's not a club or a society or an organization. No, it has similarities to those things. It's not merely a brotherhood. And okay, for those of you who like the inclusive language, it's not merely a humanhood. <laughs> it's more than that. But there is a deep and abiding emotional and spiritual connection among its members. It's more than a family. It's the body of Christ, the church, and it is absolutely unique. And we saw last week in Matthew 6, and we'll uh, be turning there again today, so you can join me now if you want. And of course, we'll have the information on the screen on either, either side of me. But last week, we saw... And we mention it here today that the church is built on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that foundation is unshakable. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but not his words, for he is forever. And because we have a place to stand, and we do, because we do, we have been given a task, something that we, as the church, need to do. And our assignment is to storm the gates of hell. The church is not a fortress where we hunker down to weather a storm. Yes, there's safety here. There's protection here. But it's the safety and protection of being a part of the most powerful army that the world has ever seen. The church is on the march, and it breaks down the gates of hell, and it rescues the lost. That's our duty, our job, our assignment, our occupation, to go into all the world and make disciples. The great commission which Jesus gave after his resurrection, which only the church can fulfill with him at our side. Talk about having purpose. A reason for living. What an honor. What a calling. What a goal. What a task. And yet it's something completely beyond our ability. We cannot do this alone. We must be part of a church and find our part to play in the whole process. And then we need God to come alongside of us Uh, besides what we already talked about, our text tells us three things which we have been given so that we can fulfill our purpose. We already know we have a place to stand. This is the church. We stand on the solid 
work of Christ. And we know what we're to do. We're to rescue to the lost. And so now Jesus promises us that we will have all that we need to do the job. We see that in the beginning of verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Having the keys of the kingdom of heaven is a promise that God will provide all which we need to do his will. I want you to think of it this way. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a vast storehouse. And, and, And it's filled with every kind of piece or tool, piece of equipment or tool or material that we need to do our job. The church is given the keys to that storehouse. And it's not just one key that opens the front door, but there are multiple keys which unlock all of the rooms in the kingdom, some of which maybe we haven't ourselves discovered yet. And nothing we need is out of bounds. If you think of it in terms of an army, you know that an army has to be supplied to do its job. It's a huge undertaking getting all of those different kinds of supplies for all of those different people with all of their different jobs to the places where they need them and in the time that they need them. And without that, the army can't march and the war cannot be won. Our army, the church, is completely supplied. We have all that we need to do our duty. The reality is, we requisition those supplies as we need them. That's done by faith. We see a need and we ask God to meet that need and we trust him to do that very thing. Sometimes he gives us what we need before we know we need it. Every once in a while this has happened to you, hasn't it? You read a particular Bible verse in the morning doing your devotions and that day or maybe the next you come across a situation where where that has been addressed in that verse. Maybe it's something you need. Maybe it's something someone else needs. But most of the time, God wants us to know we have those keys, and he wants us to recognize what we need, and then we come to him in faith. And often we know the very thing we need. But other times we're just not sure, so we have to ask him to give us what we need. And yet, We have all that we need. We're well supplied. It's it's not just for our sakes either. It's so that we can reach the lost. That's our task. When Jesus told us to storm the gates of hell, he, he told us we were given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that we have everything that we need to do our duty. Now, now, I know many of you may be sitting there thinking, usually you think of these keys as the truths of the gospel, and that it's by the gospel that people enter the kingdom. And that's absolutely the case. Uh, that's most definitely one of the keys that we have, which unlocks the door for the kingdom, into the kingdom for other people. But God has given us all the keys to the kingdom. It really seems that what we are is stewards. And he means for us to have access to all that he has. He intends to meet all our needs when we intend to complete our task. So we, we have put our faith in Christ. We have a place to stand 
and we have a job to do. And we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have God's promise that he will meet all of our needs. Now, that's not all that's here in this text. Uh, There's another promise that uh, we see here today. It's a second thing that Jesus offers us so we can do what we need to do. Jesus promises that the church will be divinely guided. Verse 19 again. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So so God has promised that as we obey him in this matter, he's going to guide us on our way. Uh, This is one of those kind of bookend statements. It's meant to summarize all of the uh, possibilities. You know, binding and loosing covers it all, like A to Z. And I want you to understand what we're being told here. We're we're not being told that whatever we decide, God is going to agree with. What we're being told, in, in the Greek makes it clear, is that whatever you bind on earth, whatever you decide to do, as you listen to God leading, will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. It's a promise to guide us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Again, if you think of an army, we we compare this uh, to good intelligence. You know, generals try to get all the information they can to plan their battles. They consult maps of terrains. They get weather reports. They send out reconnaissance teams. They're spies. They intercept enemy messages. Even general knowledge about people and how they act is all part of the planning. At best, all of their efforts gives them a a partial picture. But we're promised divine guidance. We don't know all the details. We don't have to. But the general, our God, does. And he offers to lead us step by step step but again we we access that guidance by faith we have to look to him to lead us we have some general information and knowledge we know his word at least some of it but every situation is different we don't know what's going on inside of another person we don't know the backstory we don't know their hopes or their fears we don't know what the future holds we don't know what others may do in the situation or how they're going to act but god does and he's promised to guide us so we have a place to stand we have a a task to do we're promised all of that which we need to do what we're to do God guarantees it. And we're promised that God will guide us as we do it. So I want to take just a moment with you right now. And I want to try to put some of that together. Let's say that as a church, we realize we need space here, more space here to do ministry. You know, this really was the case a couple of years ago. And if you are here, you'll remember it was rather quite obvious at that point, wasn't it? So we made it a matter of prayer. Uh, The leadership, individuals in the church, the Tuesday night prayer meeting. Honestly, I have to tell you, as a church, I think we could do a better job of this. 
I, I wonder where we would be if more people gathered to pray. And if we were more diligent in praying for the things that we think maybe God would lead us to do. But we did pray. And we didn't have the funds to build, but we had the keys to the kingdom and we prayed. And then we were given a very generous gift. And it turned out to be about a third of what was needed, but it got us started. And then God supplied the rest through the generous giving of his people here. The storehouse is ours. The guidance is ours. In another instance, before we put that addition on there, God guided us to pay off the mortgage. The idea didn't come from the leadership. God used a small group of people to communicate his will to us. And it seemed sort of foolish at that time to try to pay off a mortgage in the middle of the Great Recession, but that's exactly what we did. God guided us, and he met our need. Often the elders and deacons face situations where we don't know what to do or how to address it. We see God's guidance. And what we've discovered is that he does indeed lead his people. We talk, we pray, we investigate. But the things we end up doing is what God had in mind all along. Then we may had to go through a process to get there. I'm not saying we have a, an unbroken record of success here. Every church misses the mark sometimes. But the more closely we walk with God, the more we learn to operate by faith, knowing all that he's promised us to meet our needs, the more we seek his guidance, remembering he's promised to lead us, the more often we're going to get it right. And we're going to be doing our part in storming the gates of hell. The promises are given to the church, first off. They apply to us individually also. Now, we know that from many other passages uh, in the Bible, which talk about the same kind of thing. But I think these promises are ours because we're part of God's church. God's intention for his people is to be part of what he's building here on this earth, which is the church, through which he is working in our world to reach the lost. It's all pretty straightforward to me. Now, we have a place to stand. can't begin to say how important that is to know that the church is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we've been given a task. You belong to Christ. This is your task. We're to storm the gates of hell. We're to reach the loss for Christ. And we have promises that God is going to meet every need. We have the keys to the kingdom. And God promises to guide us from A to C. In whatever we bind and will be bound in heaven, whatever we lose will have already been loosed in heaven. And, of course, it's by faith, not presumption, and certainly not in fear that we have to walk. Now, there's one more thing we find here in this text. Maybe it's the most important thing. We have to do a little bit of work to get to it. We have to understand something then about how it works. But the text tells us something which we really need to know. And that is that God reveals 
himself to his people. And we looked at this last week. We saw that just as people in our day have lots of different thoughts about who Jesus really is, so it was in those days. People then thought all sorts of things about Jesus. And then Jesus uh, asked his disciples what they had to say about him. And Peter replied for them all in verse 16 when he said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. God reveals himself to his people. Now, this is so important for us to know. God reveals himself to us, but not all at once. We couldn't take it all in, for one thing. And there are some things we just cannot know until we've grown in the faith. Jesus said in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed that he had much to say to his disciples, but they were not yet able to hear it. They would have to learn it from the Holy Spirit. And here in our example, Peter didn't quite get it here either. As most of you know, in just two short paragraphs, Jesus had to rebuke Peter for taking Satan's side. Uh, Peter was expecting Jesus to set up a, a political kingdom then, not realizing that something more important had to happen first, that Jesus had to die to pay for the sins of the world so that you and I could be part of that kingdom. And as Jesus began to explain that, Peter would have none of it. And he rebuked Jesus for thinking those things. And that's why we see Jesus saying what he does in verse 20. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone who he was, that he was the Messiah, because they didn't understand enough at that point to speak intelligently about it. But God continued to reveal himself, and eventually Peter, even Peter, and the rest of them got it. There is so much more of God for us to learn, all of us. He reveals himself to us, more of himself as we need it. You understand, we are in a desperate war. Lives and eternity of countless millions hang in the balance. We, we've been called to storm the gates of the enemy and to rescue the lost and the perishing. Some are sent on difficult missions from which they won't return alive. It's all part of the battle. There are people all over our world dying every day for the faith. More people died for the faith. I've said this before, but it's true. In the last century... The century that ended less than 20 years ago, more people died in the 20th century for our faith than the previous 19 combined. And we're on track to keep that pace. But the difficult missions don't all just happen over there. We have them too. We find ourselves in difficult places, facing the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or financial ruin and for the life of us. 
We don't know what we did to deserve such a thing. Sometimes, maybe, we know we've contributed to the situation, but we usually know that. But most of the time, it's simply we are there. But there's a reason for it all. That There are others all around us. People who are in those same kinds of situations who don't know God or his grace or his peace or his provision. And God puts you there, right in that place, to tell them and to show them. You demonstrate how to live in those situations. You may even show them how to die. In all of that, God reveals himself to you in ways you could not have known. Then you lift up your eyes to the king and you storm the gates of hell. And other people's eternities are changed because of you. My brother Frank Day will tell you that in the days after Becky was born and her problems began, that the many caregivers who were sent to them saw something different in them. The blank and haunted look of despair, that staring look was not there. Things were hard for them, but they somehow found the strength to face them. And those caregivers asked, why, how, how could you do it? God met them in their need, and he was revealing himself through Frank, Robin, to those caregivers. Caregivers was told, it's only by God's grace that we're making it, and the evidence of it could not be gained, said it was right there in front of them. And Frank and Robin and Bonnie and Sarah have seen a part of God most of us can only glimpse through him. But God is faithful. Whatever we face in life, we find God to be more than sufficient. We have a place to stand. We have a task to do. We have promises that God will meet our every need. We have the case of the kingdom. And we have a promise that God is going to guide us from A to Z. And he shows himself to us in our time of need. We walk in faith. Not in presumption and certainly not in fear but with a trust in the God who continues to show himself to us. This is reality. The church is an army at war against the kingdom of darkness, and we're part of that army if we know Jesus is our Savior. And God then continues to reveal himself to us as we grow in our faith. And our army, the church, cannot, be shaken. It stands on the solid rock of Christ. And the outcome is sure because God provides all that we need to complete that task and he promises to guide us in his way. That is who we are. That is what we do by the power of God in obedience to his word and to his everlasting glory to God. And God alone be the glory Amen. It is overwhelming to be in a group like this.
I'm honored to serve at your side. To God be. Peace.